for scripture today. I'm going to be reading from Luke 15, 11 through 32. So it's a familiar set of verses, the parable of the lost son. And some, some passages refer to the parable of the loving father. So a number of different angles that, uh, that this can take. But the, the prodigal son would be the, the common phrasing for this. So Luke 15, 11 through 32. And Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed, feed pigs. He longed to feed, fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Pull the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This story is one that is common to us. And I would guess that the majority of times that you have heard messages about this story, you have heard the focus being on the son that took off and left. You may have heard themes of sin and deciding to go and, and do as this son did, wasted money and wasted a lot of time in his life and it was it took 
being to the very lowest level to be able to recognize his wrongdoing. And so it's a story of the forgiveness of sin. But there is a different son in this. We could call this the story of the unprodigal or non-prodigal son as much as we could call it the story of the prodigal son. And there's a reason that this was put in the scripture for us. Because both of these experiences are pretty important. And it has a lot to do with priorities and perspective, how we look at things. At a nursing home in Florida, a resident group was discussing their ailments. One person said, my arms are so weak I can hardly lift this cup of coffee. Yes, I know, my cataracts are so bad I can't even see my coffee, replied another. And yet, uh, a third one said, I can't turn my head because of the arthritis in my neck, at which several others nodded weakly. And uh, then another one went on, my blood pressure pills make me dizzy. I guess that's the price we pay for getting old, winked one old man. It sure beats the alternative, he said. Well, that's, it's not that bad, said the one woman cheerfully. Thank goodness we can all still drive. (laughs) Priorities. We can't always see, but we can always drive, right? Talking about priorities, I was reading this week about somebody who developed the 100 thing challenge. It's a grassroots movement that otherwise, uh, in which otherwise seemingly normal folks are pledging to whittle down their possessions to a mere 100 items. It was started by an online entrepreneur, Dave Bruno, who believes in this simple truth. Stuff starts to overwhelm you. Now, Now think about that. Stuff starts to overwhelm us. Here are two sons, and both were overwhelmed with stuff. The one, because he wanted what was his right, and his father gave him his inheritance ahead of time, and he was focused on what he could do with that in his life, how it could allow him to do whatever he wanted to and have the freedom. And the other son dwelled on this stuff by being upset about how the father had treated the the prodigal son. There are three phrases, and we're in, just a reminder, again, we're in this series to to reflect on something that is very practical for our living, which is, um, how do we expect the unexpected? How do we hear what God is saying to us? The things that are odd, that don't quite make sense. The things that don't fit for this world's messaging. Okay, you've heard of messaging where, you know, people revise their whole, their whole name and their, 
their slogan that, that describes what they do and who they are. And they remake themselves. They, they rebrand themselves. And, and that whole thing is new. And, and we're in this culture where we're, we're trying to be so relevant to what sells and what causes life and blessing and abundance and we're caught up in that. And so when we look at these scriptures that, that just don't make sense in this world, there's a reason they don't make sense. So let's look at just three very quickly. And you'll recognize all of these. The first one is the phrase, the first will be last and the last first. That's found in Matthew. It's found in Mark. It's found in Luke. Uh, in both Matthew and Mark, it's related to the same parable, even though there are a couple of different events. So the first will be last and the last will be first. What does that mean? Well, we'll look at the second and third one and then ask that question again. In Luke 9.29, it says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus said, he is the one who will save it. Again, what does that mean? It causes this question. What is Jesus saying? We, we are called to lose our life for Christ's sake. Um, a third one. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. It doesn't make sense. This is a world and a culture that we live in where that you're not supposed to unexalt yourself. You're not supposed to undersell. You're supposed to get everything you can get. Go for it. Grab it. And, and get as much wealth as you can so that you can be ready for anything and you can have all the pleasures of the world. And are those people any happier? Do they find any more joy? I don't think so. Most studies would show that. Um, and so how do we make sense of this? We make sense of it because of this. Jesus intended for his followers to not live according to this world and the things of this world, but to live in a heavenly kingdom. And to, to have spiritual life is different than simply having a great life here and now, as if this is it. And so um, there are confounding statements that talk about the fact that what God values is different than what this world values or this culture values or what we may value as human beings trying to fit in, trying to be accomplished, trying to be recognized, trying to, to, to have everything that is our right to have. And we start hearing the voice of this other son come out and why he was so grouchy upset and angry at how the father responded to 
the son that had been lost and now had come home and come home very repentant. And so we can't even rejoice because if somebody is given grace and we didn't, we never sinned or we never went out and did those kinds of things that would cause that and then we're upset about that. That's the dynamic here. So there's four things we learn from this other son and they're all packed in just a few verses. The first thing that we find is that the older the 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 other the older son's perspective was was one in which he was looking in the wrong place. And let, let's find what the non-prodigal son was looking at and see if we identify any of these things for us. First of all, he was looking to what he didn't have. Don't we do that? We look at somebody else and we say, oh, you've got this and you've got that. And, uh, you know, oh, you've been blessed with this or you have that. Well, we, we don't have that. And we end up focusing on the things that we don't have that other people have. He did that. He answered his father in verse 29. Look, all these years. That's a great catchphrase for him to bring up. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Now, let's just throw in one question. Doesn't that sound like he almost did all that great obedience begrudgingly? That we, we really didn't want to do it. But all these years I was faithful in doing it. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. What do we hear in this? We hear jealousy. We hear envy. We hear greed. We hear selfishness. We, we hear him reflecting on what others get and what his brother got that, that he, he wasn't given in the same way. Now, his father corrects this, but looking to the things I don't have, if that's how we look at this, I, I'm going to suggest, and you're going to hear this as a broken record, that when you look at other things that you don't have that somebody else has, you probably are not going to appreciate what you have. When God gives us what we need, our daily bread, um, in the Lord's Prayer, we don't say, give us this day everything I dreamed of, God. We say, give us this day our daily bread. That's all. Lord, help us through the day. Help us meet our needs. And so this non-prodigal son was bent out of shape, first of all, because he was focused on the things that he didn't have. The second thing that he was focused on and kept looking at, when he says, and, I'm, and again, it's the same verse, look, all of these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. What else does that say? He's looking to the past. 
He's focused on the past. He's looking back and saying, look what I've done for you all this time. And when we get stuck in the past, we ruin today. Uh, There are many different ways of reflecting on that, but when we are so focused on the way things used to be and we were so we so wish they were that way again we can't celebrate today because it's not the way it used to be i saw at a church conference many years ago a church in goshen i saw one of those those skits that they they did and and um I, I wish we could, I could recreate it. I did try to get a script of it, but it was these two, two long-standing gentlemen in the church, and they were having this conversation about all the things of church that weren't the way they used to be, and their catchphrase was, after every new thing, they would lament, oh, we used to do this, and 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 we used to do that, and and we liked it that way. And that was their catchphrase they kept repeating over and over again. Their focus was on what was different in the past, in the things that we liked, and the things that we wish could be the same today. And for him to reflect back and say to his father, look at all the things that I did for you. You know, you could have blessed my past You could have blessed me and given those things to me in the past. And we'll get to it later, but the father has some some words of correction. Not correction that will change his attitude, only he can change that. But reminding him of what he actually does have. But looking to the past will ruin our today. Almost always. And being stuck there, it's not that it's uncommon. It's not that you should feel bad if that's ever something that you do. And it's not that you should ever regret or, or say you were wrong for liking something in the past. No, that's fine. But if today is ruined because it's different than the way it used to be, then this parable is a good one for you. The third thing that he got stuck on was looking at how he compared to his brother. Now, here's here's another one that is common for all ages, all, all of us, that we tend to look and compare ourselves to other people. And when we do that, we always end up feeling like we aren't as good, that we're less than. Well, I always wish that I could be as good. And here comes that jealousy. Here comes the envy again. Well, I wish I had as much money as that person had. I wish I had all of the abilities that they have. Here I am, and you'll... You'll bear with me on the little illustration of the, of the carnival. Here I am, and all I was assigned was a little ducky fish pond 
you know, where I get to pick up, help people pick out a duck and turn it over and look at it. Or, oh, they put me on the, the ring toss for the pop bottles. Well, they get to be over there on the basketball hoop shoot. Oh, those other volunteers get to be over there and, and help kids in the bouncy house and actually get to go in and rescue them when they can't get out of there. You get all this, all this great stuff. Oh, oh, they get to serve the popcorn. I know some of you guys who've served popcorn for the carnival all these years. Oh, we never got to do the popcorn. This whole idea of comparing ourselves to other people is never, never very effective. It's one thing to, to, to look at someone and, and to to honor them and to recognize what they're good at or you know it's not that we don't recognize that reality but to compare ourselves either way well I am so much better well thank you Lord for the gift of humility and that I am so much better at it than my neighbor over there you know we we can compare ourselves in being better and we can compare ourselves in being less. But the reality is that it's destructive and it's not helpful. And again, it takes us away from a sense of joy and peace. And we'll get to that in a bit. The fourth one is we look to the recognition of our achievements. uh, And if we look to that first, that we aren't honored the way other people are honored or we aren't as accomplished as they are. And so he says, you know, look, I've been slaving for all these years. You never gave me the young goat. You never even gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends or with the family. Now, you can't tell me that they didn't have celebrations as a family that he was a part of. But in any case, this whole idea that we are constantly regretting what achievements we didn't get that other people got. Well, I would have deserved that. And that's what he's basically saying. I deserve to be blessed. I deserve to be honored. I deserve to have the goat butchered in celebration of the family event. And I deserve it because I've been so faithful to you, Father, all these years. And here you give it to this son, who ran off, squandered everything in terrible lifestyle, and you're giving it to him? In all of these things, in looking at what we don't have, and looking at the past, and looking at how we compare to others, and at looking at how our achievements are honored or recognized, it's all destructive in terms of comparing ourselves and feeling even more inadequate than ever. That's the irony. We want to be as good at and as recognized and as whatever as someone else. But with that attitude, we are never going to feel enough. It's like, you know, every every study that has been done has largely shown that you give someone 
an enormous amount of money for whatever they want. And regardless of whether they do anything wise with it or not, they aren't any happier than without it. And that, that's just the reality of it. That you're comparing the joy of God's kingdom and the joy of this world. And when we're dependent on the things of this world to establish for us, we never quite have enough or get enough or feel good enough about ourselves. So here's the thing. It robs us of our joy. We generally aren't thankful. In fact, we're, we're very upset about not getting what we think that we deserved and what we've earned. Um, it, um, it breaks relationships. Think of all the healing it, that had to happen with, between these two brothers. And think about who was probably the more humble and servant-oriented and remorseful of the two brothers and compare that to, to the, the other brother. So we get this picture that forgiveness, and here's, here's you can read it from the title, we tend to think that forgiveness is primarily on, the, on focusing on the past. Oh, you've done something wrong. We want forgiveness for what we've done wrong. Or we ask for forgiveness. Lord, cover our sins, we'll pray. Lord, if there is any way that I have sinned against you, show it to me uh, so that I can correct it and I can't be stuck. I won't be stuck in the past. And that's the tendency of it is to say that the forgiveness of sin is primarily focused on what you clean up. And the whole thing that the non-prodigal son was focused on was uh, the idea that how, how is it that he gets forgiven for that and blessed when he had done all of that sin and focused on all of the past. We see it over and over again in that verse 22. He's focused on back there. Forgiveness is for the future. Forgiveness is so that we can get to the relationship that God wants us to have with him. He wants us to have a relationship with each other. And the whole idea is that we live as kingdom people in a way that we reflect God's love. And so we're actually able to experience joy and we're actually able to accomplish the things that God wants for us to accomplish. I don't care if it's sports or anything else that you endeavor to do, drama, uh, hobbies, whatever it is, Bible challenges, memorization, anything. Um, the whole point of it is so that we can better move forward into what God has for us. We'll be more effective, we'll be happier, we'll enjoy what we're doing more. And God has a purpose for each of us and that purpose will be accomplished when we're able to do that. So the whole point of forgiveness is not just, oh, that's just a great thing Jesus did for us. The whole intention is reflected in the disciples when he said, go 
and make disciples of every nation. Teaching them, baptizing them, drawing people closer to you. That's why you were redeemed, Jesus says to us, all throughout his teaching with the disciples. It isn't just to clean up your past. It's in order to get you to what you were called to do and to be. So you want to be effective in something? You want to be accomplished in something? Focus on correcting what's wrong through the forgiveness in order that I get on to the things God calls me to do. That's really what we're called to do. Here we have this picture of daddy giving his younger son a beautiful robe and the older brother owned the whole closet. (laughs) The prodigal son got a ring. The faithful son owned the jewelry box. Yep, baby brother got the fattened calf. The rest of the herd was all his. You get it? You get the picture? God gives us so much more and we're so focused on these things that we don't have or these things that, are, that other people get or the blessings that go to other people rather than rejoicing with how God is working in other people's lives because we know from how he's worked in our lives. And so uh, we're really bo- forgiven uh, and forgiveness is born out of a heart of love Forgiveness always brings a celebration of joy, as it should. Interestingly, it didn't for this brother because he was looking at the wrong things. I just would call us to that. Let's look at just a couple of things that help us focus to what God is calling us to. In Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life Worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That, that is the way that you get to the, the worthiness of the calling that God's given. Colossians 3.12 Therefore, as Christ's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. 1 Peter 5.5, in the same way you who are younger submit to yourselves to the elders, all of you, all of you, young and old, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And you get the picture here. You can go on to, to Luke 14, 11. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so um, we have this clarity to what God is calling us to and what the forgiveness is for in our future. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses 
this is Paul speaking, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that, that in the power of God's kingdom, he will make you strong when you recognize the end of yourself and that it's all from God. All good things are from God. There was a story I read about uh, Ronald Warwick. He was the captain of a luxury cruise ship, Queen Elizabeth II. And he questioned a passenger who paid full fare for his dog to join them on an around-the-world cruise. Full fare for his dog. And these accommodations range from 25000 to 150000 uh, And he asked this guy, he said, hey, wouldn't it cost you a lot less to just leave him at home? Oh, no, the man said. When we're away for a long time, the dog's psychiatrist fees are so high, it's less expensive to bring him along. Now, Again, where are our priorities? <laughs> where are our priorities? How is God calling us to something more? Um, I, I liked what William Barclay, commentator, said. He said, it's not the things which are obviously bad which are dangerous. It's the things which are good which are dangerous. For the second best is always the worst enemy of the best. And if we're always lamenting that somebody else has more, somebody else has been blessed, somebody else has something we don't have, if we're always focused on that, we're going to end up, and we don't really know in this story what the resolution with the older brother was. We don't know if, if he actually came around and said, you know, you're right, Dad, I've kind of been pretty bad about this and, and bad attitude and, and maybe he corrected it, I don't know. But Jesus told this specifically for the purpose of us understanding that you have been blessed with eternal life and no one can take that away from you. And no one can take the grace of Jesus Christ away from you. That's something that is offered to you. And it's up to you to decide to receive it. And what he's saying is, look at all the blessings. And it doesn't have to make sense in this world. I would just hope that we can recognize how deep the Father's love is for us. That we can experience fullness, wholeness, joy, that we can celebrate with others, that we can rejoice with others, and that we can focus on the blessing of forgiveness so that we can be free and continue to live in the love of God. Amen.